All right, guys, welcome to the True Christian Ministry Podcast. I know if you're not on TikTok often, you might be wondering why is this popping up on my Spotify or iTunes playlist, and that is because I have decided to try and record some TikTok live streams for those that miss it. So if you're hearing this or seeing this on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen, you missed the TikTok live stream. Uh, but that's fine. This is what we're doing here. I'm going to go ahead and do a little test run. Obviously, uh, I'm here talking to people live, so this won't be like the podcast that we that, that you normally hear. Um, there'll be mistakes and choppiness in my voice. I, I, you know, we're not <laughs> we're just having fun. And also, JD is not present, so it's just me. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and take a look at what's going on on TikTok today. What's going on, guys? So today I wanted to read some First uh, John. It's something that I read a lot, um, and obviously when we see questions and things like that, we can touch on that. But guys, I want to talk about First John because if you've been following me for a while, you're probably like, "Dang, Mike, man, you go to First John a lot," and you're you're absolutely correct. I go to First John a lot because it is such an essential book for us to study and read. And and why you might ask? It just go to the end of First John, and John does this thing where at the end of his books he tells you why he wrote it, right? So even if we go back, to, if we go to the Gospel of John, right? Go to Gospel of John, chapter twenty. You see uh, a section where he describes why he wrote this book. So after the resurrection, after Thomas, it goes. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His. His name. So John tells you this is why I'm writing this. So why does he write First John? He tells us here at the end of the at the end of his letter, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So the number one reason that he's writing this is because he wants you to know, not just think, not just hope, but know that you have eternal life. And then he goes on saying, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And the beautiful thing about that is, if you can't be confident in the fact that he has forgiven you and saved you, how can you be confident in anything else? How can you be confident in your prayer life? How can you be confident in your struggles? Because if you're not even confident in the fact that he saves you, then how can we go down down a road and say, well, no, he's going to answer my prayers right now. I need his help. Right, so this is why First John is so important to me. So important to me because I truly believe that if you just read First John over and over again, and you really get First John down, it can guide you on how to walk as a Christian. Right, there's certain parts of the Bible where if let's say it was like the book of Eli, right? Like all the Bibles ended up disappearing. The enemy got rid of them all, et cetera, et cetera. And all we had is what our memories were on. If I had to like say, which couple books do I wish I could have in my head, no matter what, it would be gospel of John, first John and second Timothy. Like those are what I would want with me. Right. And because there's so much, there's so much meat in these books, um, that, that give you so much guidance as far as walking in the Lord and walking uh, in the faith. So I want to read First John a little bit. And then at the same time, I know people have questions. And that's what these TikTok live streams are for. They're a little bit more random. Um, and for you guys listening on Spotify and iTunes, like I said, this is the first time we're trying this. If it doesn't work, I apologize for wasting your time if it's weird. Uh, but if it does work, make sure to let me know. Reach out, whether it be in comments, email. Uh, let us know how you like this. And, and if there's any maybe... Uh, critique on how to make it better because this is the first time uh, that I am doing this. So let's see. We got some comments. We got about 150 people watching us right now. Uh, if someone is married in a registry office without God and they are they even married, are they even married in God's eyes? So where you stand with your two feet doesn't make it with God or not. Uh, but there's a covenant between man and woman. So, um, I wouldn't say that if someone gets married in a registry and not at a church, that's what it sounds like you're saying is, does it have to be at a church in order to be in God's eyes? And I would say no, because prior to churches, you can get married without a church, right? And, and there's, not every, there's not always going to be a church somewhere. What makes it in God's eyes is one, both are believers, and they make a covenant with God. So a marriage that involves God is actually a three-person marriage. It's man, wife, and God. There is a promise to be in this marriage with God at the center. That's what makes that marriage in God, because you're not just making a covenant between you and your wife, you're actually making a covenant to God saying, God, I vow to take care of this wife and, and, to, and be there for her and love her and do these things. And then she vows to me in the presence of God, right? Because that's what it's really about. Uh, 
marriage can obviously have its people act like it's just for this reason and just for that reason. And it's a, you know, patriarchy, whatever it may be. But we know biblically uh, that a marriage is a, is the union between man and woman, the way God designed it in, in order to have a family. Um, I'm in the mentor program on the discord. That's awesome to hear that Deja. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that. Are you saying that you are a mentor or you're being mentored either, or it doesn't matter. It's great to see the process. And let me just give a quick shout out to all the people that have been participating in the true Christian ministry. Um, it's not just Mike, Mike might be the face of it and who started it, but I've got so many people that help me and, and they don't do, I don't pay anybody, right? There's no, it's not like I got high, uh, people I hired, um, but they commit so much time to the kingdom and helping build the kingdom in my uh, uh, in our discord. Uh, let's see. There's a follow up question. Basically, I was married as an unbeliever to an unbeliever, then divorced. Was I even married? Oh, so hold on. Here's going to I'm going to give you the answer that actually matters, right? It doesn't matter. You're, I get it. You're probably looking in your head like, was I married? So therefore, am I? there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The old you is dead. That you, that's yesterday. And last I checked, yesterday only exists in our memories and whatever we write down and document. Today is the day of salvation. Today we move forward. If you were an unbeliever in a marriage and was it ever really, ma- it was the old you. The old you is dead, sis. She's on the cross with Christ. Who walked away was you and the Lord in a new life. Don't let that, don't let that, eat. people sometimes eat, let the past eat away. What Man, I tell you, I did this a long time ago. I did this. What about this? I'm not worried about what happened a long time ago. I'm worried about today because today is the day of salvation. Can you get married? So here's what I will say. If you were an unbeliever in a marriage with an unbeliever and then you and your unbelieving spouse got divorced and now you're a born again new creation, I'm going to take my uh, my faith here and go on the point that we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says that if an unbelieving spouse leaves you, God wants you to have your peace returned to you. Now, I'm going to assume that if you also were an unbeliever, so you don't even know about your covenant or what you're supposed to be doing, that he also wants you to have your peace. Let's actually read it real quick. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Let me open up a separate thing so that way I don't take 1 John away. 1 Corinthians 7, um, and we're going to go down to where it talks about uh, you know someone uh, being an unbeliever, and it says this. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So I would assume here that not just the unbeliever left, but you were also an unbeliever. And as a Christian in Christ, he has called you to peace. Okay, what do you think about Christians that ask others to address them as father? You'd have to give me a better uh, example of that. Or you just talk about Catholics? Saw your video about that. Don't know. Why did no one believe eternal security until the 1500s? Should not that raise a suspicion? Uh, I don't think that's a true statement at all. What you're saying is nobody used the term eternal security in the in in, in before 1500. What was that verse? First Corinthians seven, starting at verse uh, 15. So I'm going to turn off the comments real quick, guys, because that's how I can keep the comments under control while I answer questions. But let's go ahead and cover something real quick, because I had the Catholic bring up or someone Orthodox or Catholic bring it up. Eternal security didn't exist before the 1500s. That's a funny thing for Catholics to say, because here's what they'll do. In the same breath or Orthodox, if I bring up a dogma that doesn't come into play until I don't know, let's say 1500s as well at the Council of Trent. Their response is, well, it didn't need to be addressed, but now it's being addressed because of the Reformation. So it's in response to, yes, I get it. Exactly. Eternal security has always existed. It's just, it wasn't called that. But here's the truth of the matter. If I tell you that I'm sitting on something with four legs and a, and a back, just because I don't call it a chair doesn't mean it's not a chair. This is the same argument that people use against Christians, and I can't stand when Christians use it. If someone said to a Christian, Mike, the word homosexual doesn't exist in those days, what would I say to them? Okay, cool. English language didn't exist, but you know it's described? The actions between man and man and the the Bible saying it's wrong. So even though the word might not exist that we use today for it, what exists is the description of it. And if the description exists, that's that object, but we just called it something different. Eternal security is biblical. So I don't care what anyone acts like it doesn't say. And there are 
church fathers who speak of it in a different way. And what they basically speak of it is, is that confidence of knowing that God will save who he saves, right? We, we bring up the term eternal security because so many people try to act like you can lose your salvation. The truth is eternal security wasn't discussed because there was not a lot of people talking about losing salvation. And you could say, yes, there were, and we could go through the small nitty gritties of people having arguments and I could show you both sides. But at the end of the day, the early church actually understood the, the goal wasn't to sit here and focus on self, but to focus on getting the gospel out. They're not sitting here saying, well, what do we have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Oh, it's about me, about me. Like nowadays people sit around, like legitimately Christians sit around talking about this for years. There are people on this app right now that that's all they talk about, about losing salvation and that stuff. And they sit in their groups and they do it nonstop. And it's like, you're so obsessed with that, that you're not out spreading the gospel. The early church was worried about getting the gospel to people. Paul's not talking about losing salvation or eternal security because that's a crazy thing to think about. Just like the Bible doesn't go out of its way to say, what we mean by saved by baptism, we mean baptism in the Holy Spirit because it's a given. It's a given. Like, you don't have to discuss that. That's why when people ask me today, Mike, do I have to be baptized? I imagine someone sitting down and asking Paul, hey, Paul, did you know in 2,000 years, Christians are going to ask each other, do I have to be baptized? He probably would look at you like, what do you mean, do you have to? Just do it. What do you? T- why is it all have to this and have to that and check mark this and check mark that? Why are people turning it into that? That's, that's, that's religious in the sense that like extremely by structure, I mean, by uh, rituals and stuff, right? We get, Christians get baptized. Do you have to? I don't, that doesn't matter. Christians get baptized. Christians get baptized. Keyword there is Christians because no one gets in that water unsaved. They got in that water because they're saved, right? So this is the type of thing we're talking about. How does this relate to what you brought up? That just because you never heard someone say eternal security prior to 1500 doesn't mean people didn't believe in God's saving power of a finished work on the cross. Like if you really want to discuss what eternal security is teaching, we're teaching a finished work on the cross and Rome does not preach a finished work on the cross. Why do they, why can I say that confidently? Because in the Roman doctrine, if you commit too many sins, you got to go back to the cross. You got to keep going back to the cross. It's not a finished work. And here's why, because Even if God attempts to save you in the Roman Catholic Church, there's a chance you still don't get saved because it requires your cooperation. God is depending on you to save you. Because in in the Roman Catholic Church, they believe in what's known as synergism, meaning that it is man and God cooperating for salvation. What what I and many people that are like-minded with me believe in is monogism, meaning it's God that saves, not me. Not me. So in their doctrine... God can't save unless you let him. Legit. God can't save unless you let him. And then when even if he wants to save you and you want to be saved, it still might not happen because he 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 won't he doesn't actually sanctify you. He lets you fail, right? And he lets you fail and go to hell. So there are people according to the Roman Catholic doc, uh, doctrine, there can be people who really want Jesus and go to hell. In truth, which me and Jesus wants them. What does that mean? That means you preach a finished, uh, an unfinished work on the cross. But my Savior said it is finished. Um, oh, a little pause here. My wife's calling me on my uh, watch. One moment, guys. All right, I'm back. Sorry, I did not. Let me look now. Oh, I do have guest requests from multiple people. I am sorry, wife, um, that I did not see your guest request. Um, You know, I would love to have you up here. So I apologize that we missed that opportunity. Um, What was I now saying? I was saying something. Yeah, the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, and this claim that, you know, well, no one ever taught that prior. Here's the thing. Are we talking about man or are we talking about God? Because I read this last night on my live stream, but I'll read it again. Let's talk about what the church fathers say. Here's what here, I'm going to read a, a couple quotes from Augustine. Augustine is one of those church fathers. Everybody knows about him. Um, even if you don't do deep study in church history, uh, you'll know about him. So these are some of the quotes I read last night. The first one is, what more shall I teach you than what we read in the apostle? And in case you're not aware that the way they referred to the New Testament in those days was they called it the apostle, just like people referred to the Old Testament as the, as the law and the prophets. Um, for Holy Scripture fixes the rule for our doctrine, lest we dare to be wiser than we ought. 
Therefore, I should not teach you anything else except, except to expound to you the words of the teacher. One second, guys. Here's another quote from him. I must not press the authority of Nicaea against you, nor that, nor you that of Ariminum against me. I do not acknowledge the one as you do not the other, but let us come to ground that is common on both the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. Here's another one. Let us not hear this I say, this you say, but thus says the Lord, surely it is the books of the Lord on whose authority we both agree. And which we both believe. There, let us seek the church. Let us discuss our case. Here's another one. Let those things be removed from our midst, which we quote against each other, not from divine canonical books, but from elsewhere. Someone may perhaps ask, why do you want to remove these things from the midst? Because I do not want the holy church proved by human documents, but by divine oracles. And I can go on and on for days. The thing is, people like to have selective... uh, uh, choice a selective history on what they want to go by saying this is what history is and it's just absolutely not true so the bible tells me let all men be liars let god be true and seeing that you and i have only lived for 30 or 40 years no matter what we had we weren't alive 500 years ago 700 years ago 800 years ago a thousand years ago so neither of us know exactly what happened so here's what we both have we both have evidence we have historical evidence and the bible we can look at those and make a decision and y'all love to say well Protestants interpret the Bible on their own, their own interpretation. You have your own interpretation too. It might not be the Bible's interpretation, but you had to interpret the evidence that made you believe I'm going to trust the Roman Catholic Church. So your interpretation led you to man. My interpretation is at the church. I mean, is at the scriptures. And at the end of the day, let all men be liars. Let God be true. If I'm a fall on my sword, it's going to be on the word of God. I'd rather fall down saying, God, I followed your word and I failed rather than saying, well, I, I trusted those people because they told me they could speak for you. The Bible says let every man be I mean uh, that every man should be convinced in his own mind. At the end of the day, if my eternal my eternal salvation is what we're talking about, I need to look at that Bible. And I had a long talk with the Lord last night. I know I came on here to talk about 1 John, but the point of doing this is to kind of just test out how it's like for me to jump around and record it. Let me tell you guys about my prayer last night. <laughs> To my wife that I think she might still be in here. Look at my response to him telling me what color background to have. <laughs> um, I had this conversation last night. I had this conversation last night with the Lord. I was in deep prayer with him, right? I was really. Matter of fact, I'm going to turn off the comments first. I don't even want to see y'all's comments. I just want to talk to y'all. I'm going to share with y'all a moment. Because y'all act like it's just anti-Catholic this. I was in deep prayer like, Lord, let me know. If there's anything I'm teaching wrong, don't let me teach wrong. Take my ability to speak before I teach wrong. If there's any truth in, in anything, whether it's Orthodox, Catholic, like let me know where, Father, I'm asking you if I'm in error to correct me. And I'm having this talk with him and I'm saying, Lord, I, I got to be honest with you. Your word makes it clear to me that I can't do, I can't go over there. And I even said, Lord, I don't mean to challenge you or test you or whatever if this might be perceived by some. But I'm saying, Lord, I need to hear it from you because your God, your word, your word says, even if we or an angel brings you a different gospel. So I'm not listening to angels. I'm not listening to men. You're, you told me not to trust. And if this is what the gospel is, I trust that. So Lord, if I'm wrong, I, I, I ask you to please bring clarity to me, bring truth to me. And, and this is along with a lot of my prayer, right? I was in a deep, 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 deep prayer last night. I was in a deep prayer about sin last night. Um, and I'll talk about that here in a moment. But at the end of the day, I, I get it. There are Catholics that are good people. There are Catholics that are bad. Just like there's Protestants that are good and Protestants that are bad. And I know there's no good. I'm, you know what I mean by good. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, let me be, let's not be technical. Obviously, there's no one is good. No one is righteous. Yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, when we talk about the doctrine, because I can't talk about individual Catholics. Yes, every individual is different, just like every individual Protestant is different, just like every individual Orthodox is different. Every person is their own person. So all I can do is look at the main thing. And when it comes to that doctrine, 
regardless what the past may look like, like let's just throw the past out for a second. Today as it stands, because here's another thing. People act like, well, because I believe this is the church that it all started with and I have to stay loyal to this church no matter what. And that's a crazy kind of sentiment because your loyalty is to be to God and God warned you of wolves coming into the church. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say might be. He said it will happen. Jesus told you wolves are coming. Peter, your first pope, told you wolves are coming. John told you they're coming. John said antichrists are already here. Paul warned you. So therefore, if everybody warned us and we know they're going to be there, why is it hard to accept the fact that wolves and wolves got into your church and because of the pride of thinking it's impossible to happen, you've rejected every bit of reformation attempted. It wasn't just Luther that tried to reform you. The Orthodox had an issue. Then it was a split because of pride. No, we will not change pride. And then another Orthodox split. And then before Luther, you were burning people alive because they said this, something's going on wrong here, guys. And it's the pride of the Catholic church saying, no, we can never be wrong. We can never teach error. We can never be wrong. Even though the entire paper supremacy itself is built on forgeries and we know about those forger documents hundreds of forger documents that that we that we found out about after the fact that they used in the case to say that papal supremacy is a thing so i don't even care about the past i don't care here's my problem today and here's my challenge to any catholic listening I'm not a betting man, but yet I'm so confident in this that I can say I'd bet because I know I won't lose the bet. But I would bet you $1,000. You cannot show me a single bishop from Nicaea that, that attended the Council of Nicaea that believes everything that a Roman Catholic has to believe today, according to the dogmas. You can't. You cannot. This is why Cardinal Newman had to create what's known as the development hypothesis or the development theory because he had to teach that, well, there's a development in the doctrine. So therefore, there's a lie also in the church because sometimes when your church announces these dogmas, they'll say, as it has been believed since the beginning. No, some of these things had to develop. You hear Catholics say it's like an acorn, right? And you put it in the ground and boom, big tree come out of it, right? That's what it is. The positive faith, boom big tree come out of it. This is why they're able to institute dogmas, meaning you have to believe it in the 1950s. Like the Assumption of Mary, where Pope Pius XII literally said, whoever denies this, this dogmatic definition stands condemned in their own words and is, it's, it's as if they have fallen away from the faith. So you can believe the gospel. You can love Jesus. You can give your life to Jesus. But if you denied that Mary's body was assumed into heaven bodily, complete, just body brought up. You stand condemned? That is literally anathema, just changing the gospel. So that's why. That's it. Don't want to have a conversation. Catholics often distract these podcasts way too much. Um, so I, I just don't want to do that. Now, I saw another question. Let me turn the comments on for like two seconds just to see what it was because I thought it was a really good one. Oh, you know what? I think it is uh, the Book of Enoch I think someone asked about. Is that it? How do you respond to people that say they're they're not religious but spiritual? Uh, I tell them that they're not Christian either. Uh, people that are not religious, they're just spiritual. They're they're new age. They're falling into the new age movement. So let me be let me tell you the real truth of what a person is saying when they say that they're religious and not they're not religious. They're spiritual or they're not religious. They have a relationship or I don't need the Bible. I have Jesus. They're all saying this. I want all the benefits of Jesus and none of the accountability. That's it. That's what they're saying. Because when you're just spiritual, you don't have accountability because there's nothing actually talking to you. Uh, the word of God is the way God speaks. So the only way God can discipline you as a Christian is if you're willing to read his word. And not, he could discipline you without his word. You just might not notice that it's discipline. You might think it's something else. Uh, I, I bet there's some Christians out there that thought it was demons when God was punishing them. That's why I love to remind Christians of this one. Stop saying, listen, stop saying to people, when a door closes, that's because God has something better in store for you. No, it doesn't mean that. It might mean you've been acting up and God slammed the door on you saying you ain't ready. Or, or listen here, narcissistic Christians, maybe God has someone on the other side of that door he loves just as much and he's protecting them from you. I'm just saying, we have this thing in our head where like we're God's number one and we forget that God loves everyone else just as much. He loves his other children. We forget to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ as loved by God equally. So in our minds, everything is circled around us. Everything, even God. But it's not. There's a chance that that door slams shut, not because God's opening up another door, 
but because he's saying, get your, get your stuff together, son. You have not been obedient, and what's on that other side of the door is not for you yet. This is why I love what James says. James says something that I think we should all remind ourselves a lot. He says, I'm sorry, James 4 right here. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is what I love about this. If you go back to what Jesus said, remember when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all righteousness and then all things will be provided. This new age prosperity gospel, the new age spirituality gospel is seek the all things because he's going to give you the all things because he loves you so much and wants to shower you in the all things. But here's the truth of it. God cares more about your righteousness that he's training you for than your happiness in the moment. He doesn't care about your instant gratification. He cares about your long-term sanctification. So if he knows that whatever he's going to give you will will be used for your sinful passions, he's not going to give it to you. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and all righteousness, your mind's on him. Whatever he blesses you with, you use then for him. If you're not seeking him in truth, why give you anything that might drive you further away from him? I always use money as the example here, but it can work for a lot of things. But I'll tell you right now, if God would have given me money back when I asked him for money, I just would have dove deeper into drugs. I would have dove deeper into my own self. I would have spoiled myself and did things I don't need that money for. But today, when I don't want God to give me money, if God somehow decided to bless me financially, I'm going to bless others because I don't want the money. Someone commented, ooh, I was going to respond to this comment with a video and I still will, but this brings up the point. So someone commented me, uh, commented on my page saying, I really want to read the Bible more, but I'm so obsessed with work and I work so much, but I really am going to start trying to make the Bible more of a priority. And I wanted to just say to him, you know what? Can I be honest with you? And this is what I want to make the video saying. Can you imagine, imagine a child saying, dad, I, I mean to come by and hang out with you, but I'm just so busy with work. And the dad's like, all right, buddy, I, I respect it. And then finally he shows up and he sits down and his dad is giving him wisdom and, and, and life knowledge. And then now work actually becomes easier. And the kid comes back like, dad, the stuff you was talking to me, I actually implemented that. And I got done earlier. I have more time on my hands. And, and he's like, I wish I would have just came and talked to you earlier. You see, when a son sits with his father, it doesn't just mean you're giving time to the father, but he's teaching you ways to use your time. If you say that you have to, you don't have enough time for God and, 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 and you have all these other things you're doing, I guarantee you if you give time to God, it will affect all these other things you're doing. It will then affect everything that you're involved in. If you struggle with work and you're like, I can't get time for God because of work, give time to God and I guarantee you work will change because you'll do that work for God in the name of God, by the power of God and move differently. It's sitting with your father and he's giving you wisdom. Imagine I'm out here trying to find a girlfriend and, and I don't, and my dad's like, Mike, come, come have dinner with me. I'm like, dad, I'm busy, man. I, I need to, I'm getting old. I need to find somebody going out on dates. And then I finally sit down with my dad and he gives me wisdom. Son, this is what you should be doing. Son, I'm giving you this life advice. Son, and your heavenly father knows all. Sit and let him give wisdom to you. That moment of sitting isn't just because God wants your allegiance. That is actually to benefit you. Nobody's saying, guys, go read the Bible because you have to read the Bible. I don't want you to read the Bible just because you think you have to. I do not want you to. I do not want you to. In fact, I would bet God probably doesn't want you to just read it just because you feel like you have to. I, I love this quote. I think I have the book down here. Let me go ahead and steal this book real quick and quote for you from Charles Spurgeon. Many of you know I like to quote from him a lot. And, and he has this one quote that I've been using a lot lately that I think is just a fascinating quote. Um, and let me go to it real quick. Here we go. He said, I should not expect God to hear me because the clock struck such and such and I began to pray from a sense of duty. No, I must go not because the clock struck, but because my heart wants to pray. A child does not cry because the time to cry has come. 
nor does a sick man groan because it is the hour of groaning, but they cry and they groan because they cannot help it. A legal spirit would prevent expecting answers to pray. He says a child doesn't cry because the hour of crying comes. We don't read the Bible because the hour of reading comes. We read the Bible because we want to hear what our father has to say. What book is that? This is um, a book called um, The Priority of Prayer, or it's Spurgeon on the Priority of Prayer. It's by Jason K. Allen. It's a compilation of things from Spurgeon about prayer. Um, I've been recommending it to a lot. I got it a couple months ago, and it's really been just a blessing in my life. It's a very small read. Um, It's just really focusing a lot on prayer. But guys, this is about relationship, right? We always talk about it. We always say relationship, but I ask you this. How would you feel if someone that you considered a very good friend of yours, someone, matter of fact, your wife is like, hey, I can't find time to spend with you. I, I'm sorry, I've been so busy with work. And then you're just like, all right, well, just, I'm here whenever. And then they come and they say, look, I'm gonna schedule this time. I'll fit it in. We just gotta get it in real quick. You would feel like, what is happening in this? You would feel like, um, sorry, someone asked for the screenshot of that. The green screen is going to mess it up, so that's the best I can give you. But um, you would feel like this isn't true. Like this isn't this isn't love. This is an obligation. I want I want my wife to want to be around me. I, I want to be around my wife, right? Like we should want each other, not I'm obligated to. I'm obligated to. And that's what some people, that's why the questions are always in a certain manner that they lead you to believe that. Maybe these people are looking at things through the wrong lens because it's always, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Like if you got married, would you be asking all your friends, do I have to do this? Do I have to love her? Do I have to tell her hi? Do I have to do it? You would just be in the relationship. Just be in the relationship, right? We always talk about relationship, right? Be in the relationship. Mike, how do I draw closer to God? You know how to draw closer to anybody. You spend time with them. You communicate with them. You get to know them. Like, it's not, the gospel is so simple, guys. It's so simple, but yet we make it complex. We make it complex because we try to say, we with our, as adults, we try to overcomplicate it. And I think this is why Jesus tells us that you must come to him as a child because children don't make things complicated. They ask why when they're interested, but other than that, they're like, okay, if that if you said it, okay. Like if I tell my son, hey, you, this is why we do it, okay. Like they, they just trust you. They trust that you're not going to guide them wrong. They trust that you will provide for them. Obviously, this only works in the case that the parent is a good parent, but we're talking about God, so good parent. Right, Some of you may not have had that. And honestly, this is why some people struggle with coming to God. There's studies on this. Um, when people have terrible fathers, absent fathers, abusive fathers, uh, they usually lead to that. Uh, will it feel like I have to at first, though? I want to read his word even if I don't feel like it. Well, that's not, that's not... See, don't confuse your emotions with what I'm saying. There's a difference between making yourself create a habit... And being like, I have to read the Bible, right? You're saying, you're admitting, I struggle with it and I have to make myself do it because I have to make this habit happen. That You're not doing it because you feel like you have to. You're doing it because you're trying to build a habit. This is also something I realized last night in my prayer with God. I find myself sometimes, and I also realized this in a comment earlier, I think sometimes we think God looks at us the way we look at each other. And what I mean by that is having to perceive you and and have a perception. And we're worried God might see it the wrong way. So we're like, does God know that, you know, this, this, and that? And what if I do it this way? God knows, listen to me very clearly. God knows the inner thoughts. God knows your heart. There is nothing you can understand that he doesn't. He knows your thoughts better than you know your thoughts. So therefore, it's not about, well, what if I try this and what if I'm trying that? God knows why you're doing what you do. God knows every bit of why. So if you're in error, there's a difference between being willfully in error or truly wrong and be needing someone to guide them. God's, God is just. 
He's not going to look at you knowing that you're truly seeking him, truly looking for him, looking for truth. That's what you want. And you just haven't had good leadership. What I think the loving God that I know uh, exists is going to put people in your life that can do that for you. It's up to you to accept their offer because we reject people God sends to us all the time. I don't know if you know this. Paul warns you about rejecting angels that may come to you. The word angel is messengers. They don't always have to be uh, heavenly hosts. People be like, well, just pray, just pray for this person. Well, what if this person is 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 being sent? Everybody always wants to be like, no, no, no. No one come and actually give anybody anything and do anything. Everybody pray. Like, but what if God is sending us? God loves you. He wants to grow you. He knows where your mind is at. And he's going to put people in your life. And this is why I've said, and this is why I've said uh, a lot in my podcast, what? That sanctification and discipline hurts. And depending on you is how hard it's going to hurt because you push away from things God is trying to grow you in. He will get you to the end and it might hurt you more than it hurts me. First Corinthians chapter three says, some of us will suffer great loss, but you will be saved. Some of us will suffer great loss, but you will be saved. I saw a question about Hebrews 5, 8 through 10. Off the top of my head, I don't know what that is, but I can definitely pull it up and see if I have anything uh, to add to this passage, obviously. Um, So, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Can you please uh, clarify what it is you're trying to understand about this passage? What are you struggling on about it? I love to hear that. Thank you so much. Uh, is this be- is this better? How God learned. Okay, I see what you mean. How God learned. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So, <clears throat> I want you. Do you have your Bible with you by any chance, brother? Cool. Go to Luke chapter 2 real quick, verse 40. I'm sorry, not well, not there, right? Yes, that is it. Now the boy. Oh, I'm sorry, no. 52, verse 52. It, after Jesus gets lost in a temple, what does it say? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor of God and man. So there's another moment where we see Jesus learning, and this is where you're having that problem, is not enough people teach what's known as Christology, and what we need to understand is this. We have the eternal Son, who is fully God, 100% God, has existed since the beginning, eternally co-equal with God, the Father. Then we have the incarnate Christ. So for 33 years, he was the incarnate Christ, and the Bible makes it clear that he emptied himself out. He emptied himself out. He took away his divine status, like his royal status. He lessened himself to become like servants. And when he does this, he takes on what? Humanity. What do we all have? A human brain. Jesus' brain had to grow and it had to learn. It had to grow and it had to learn because it was a human brain. He is fully God inside of him. And when he died and rose, he became glorified and returned to the glory he had before the foundation of the earth, John 17. The thing is, when he was in the flesh, And because he had emptied himself out, that human brain can't contain all of the knowledge he had as the eternal son. Think about that for a second. If the eternal son comes into flesh and takes on the same brain I have, how can that same brain I have possibly hold everything that the eternal God has? And this is why he says in Luke 24, don't you guys know that I, what the Christ had to go through in order to receive his glory and be glorified? Right. So it's that you ever seen that image where it shows, oh, I wish I actually I do have it here in my Bible. I just was seeing it the other day. This is an image that we see a lot in Christianity that actually really helps you to comprehend what it is that I'm saying right here. Um, Let me go ahead and pull it up. It's a I hope that I can actually put it on screen and it won't be confusing. Side note, I saw my wife up in the comment section. Hey, girl, how you doing? How you doing? How you, how you, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I love you, girl. 
Hey, babe, while you're in here, last night someone in the live stream came in and said, would you ever uh, date a big girl? And like 47 of my female sisters in Christ jumped up quicker than I even saw the comment. Talk about, <coughs> he married. All right, so I can't find it in my Bible right now. So there's a, there's a picture, though, that many of you have probably seen where it looks like a U. And the, the, the end of the U goes higher than the beginning of the U. And it goes like this. It shows you Jesus eternally pre-incarnate. And then it has the dip down to Jesus's earthly ministry. And then that back up and it goes over where he was before in the, um, in the, in the glorification. Um, so just, I, I thought I could pull it up right now, but my bad on that. So, and for those asking about the music in the background, yes. So I am recording this so I can put it on Spotify after the case for those people that don't get a chance to excuse me, that don't get a chance to, you know, catch the live streams. This is entire stream is a test. And because of that, I cannot play copyright music in the background because that would cause an issue when I upload this. So I have to have copyright free music. So I have our theme music in the background playing because I also don't like silence. Oh, I just realized there's 330 people in here. That's why the comments are flying. Can't you record YouTube and TikTok same time? Yes, but I don't want to. Um, I don't want to uh, uh, convolute. Would that be the word? Convolute. I don't know. I don't want to fill up my YouTube with so much because I, you know, have live streams on TikTok. I want YouTube to be focused on uh, 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 the podcast, the Bible readings, and what we put on YouTube. Um, I do this a lot, so this is just gonna go. Uh, I mean, most of the time you're just looking at my face, so I mean, you don't need to see my face. Um, You know, can you explain the Trinity? That's a wonderful question. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if it seems like I'm, la I'm not laughing at you. I'm not laughing at you. Uh, I'm laughing because it is such, it's, it's, it's a question that's like, can you explain this? <laughs> right. And it's like, no, no one can. Um, first and foremost, no one will ever truly understand what God is until possibly in eternity and and uh, maybe he can reveal maybe it, it'll be possible for us to fathom at that time because he says he makes us like him so i don't know but at the end of the day like in this finite life we can't and if anybody says yes you can i tell you this is something you'll hear me say a lot ask them to draw you a fourth dimensional cube if they can't do that then don't even begin to tell me how god exists and nobody here knows how to draw a fourth dimensional cube because we can't even fathom the fourth dimension so how is anybody going to tell me what god is because god is clearly higher than the fourth dimension for him to know every possible outcome of every possible decision he would have to be at minimum in like the seventh dimension right and i don't mean to get sciencey on you guys but my point is you can never fathom that never never right but I, what i do know is that god is bigger than us in every single aspect but yet there's some people that don't let him they won't let him be bigger in existence. They'll say, of course, he's stronger, uh, smarter, uh, wiser, uh, uh, more powerful. It can create all this. You'll, you'll give him all that. But then suddenly he has to exist like us. There are some people out there that's like, no, because I can't be I can't be two persons and whatever. I can't do that. And it's because they're limiting God into a box. What makes me upset is it. I find it hard to describe, but I have no problem with the Trinity. I believe that God has allowed me to understand it to the point where I'm not bothered by it at all. Um, I just don't even know how sometimes to word it verbally for you to understand. I understand that they're all one and I understand that they are three. And we can use different words to try and describe it, three persons, but even that has its downsides because to us, a person is a walking person, right? Uh, uh, and, it's an, and it's a unique individual. So when we say three persons, it, it, it can confuse people. So what I like to say is this, I believe the Bible is true and God is one, but he has chosen from Genesis to Revelation to make it very clear that he is three at the same time. He does it in Genesis. God the Father is obviously seen because it says in the beginning, God created, right? But then he creates how? With his word. And then his spirit is hovering over the water. And then he says, let us make man in our image. You take that all the way to the very end and you still see the same three. There are three that bear witness. Uh, uh, three in front of the, th uh, with the throne. And three, 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 three. Baptize the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like no matter what, God has made it very clear that he will reveal himself as three. So whether we believe it the way that I describe it, whatever, as long as you don't reject the Bible, this is my opinion. Do you have to understand the Trinity like I do? No. 
But do you believe the Bible or do you reject it? Because modalists, they reject the Bible. Oneness, they reject the Bible. Saying Jesus is the Father is a rejection of Scripture. And if you don't think that's a big deal, it is because then you're denying some of the truths of the Scripture. If Jesus is the Father, honestly, the gospel becomes a very weird thing to me. I honestly don't understand the gospel that much uh, uh, if you change Jesus to the Father because when I read the high priestly prayer and I see that Je- that Jesus is talking about glorifying the Father because the Father glorifies the Son and the Father gives the Son a people and the Son reveals the Father to the people and then you see in the garden he says, nevertheless, Father, not my will but your will. There is a clear moment where you realize that the gospel is about the love between the father and the son and how we get to take part in this love. But if you change it to the father and the son being the same thing, then what he, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So he, he is three, but he is one. And, And again, mind fathom, what's a way that you can think about this? Analogies are never good, but sometimes they do help you. I'll give you two different ways to look at it. For those in here that understand anything about dimensions, this is for you first. We understand if you study dimensions that when anything from a higher dimension passes through a lower dimension, the lower dimension can only see pieces of it because the lower dimension isn't there yet. Um, If the father is at the highest dimension possible and Jesus is the image of God, so his existence is in our dimension, but he he is the same as the father, he's just the lower dimension revelation of him. So they're separate, but they're the same time they're one. Now, for those that don't get, that are like lost on that, here's my my way to really break it down Barney style. I am a I am a being, right? I'm one person, one being. I am Mike Pagano. But for one second, I want you to think I'm much bigger than I am right now. And my my face is who you all see. My face is who you all hear. My words from my mouth is who you all hear. But the mind is really who says all that, right? And therefore, I could technically say, Although none of you have ever seen my brain, you know my brain. I can tell you that none of my words are my own, for they are my brain's words. And the brain is the one who tells me what to say, for I could say nothing on my own. But I am one with my brain, but I am not my brain. For the brain is greater than I am. But I am here so that you may know the brain. Right? The Father is the brain. Jesus is the face, the word. And the Holy Spirit is the blood that flows between them in that body. And when you become part of that body, you share in that Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is that is the flow between all dimension, between everything where God's power flows. He is that. He. The Holy Spirit is a he. So that's my way of explaining it to make you understand one being, I'm one being, but instead of these being parts, make them personhoods with their own personhood. That's all it is, is its own personhood. Heck, if you really want to break it down Barney style, imagine my hand had a face and he had his own like conscience. And he's like, hey, Mike, what's up? At the end of the day, he's still one with me and he can't do anything I don't let him do because I'm still in control at the end of the day, right? As stupid and childlike this is, maybe you could teach a child like that. If my hand was alive and he said, hey, guys, I'm Steve. Even though Steve is not me, Steve is me. That makes sense? They are one, they are that, but... It's hard for us to comprehend because God's so big that we don't fathom that. We think about him being a, a man like me in the sky, white beard, white hair. And it's like, how can, if Jesus is this one and that's the, fa- then, then what? And here's what you need to also understand. The father is not a physical body. So the only image of God has always been Jesus. Always. 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 Let's keep talking about the Trinity. What is what 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 is the roles? So Jesus is the Son; He's the Savior. The Father is the one who sends the Savior, who sends Him, and then the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. Each one has their own roles, and we know that Jesus is the revelation of God Himself. He is the image of God. In John chapter one, it says, "No one has seen God; the only God." Uh, who is at the right hand of the Father, uh, the Lord Jesus, is who we've seen. Meaning all the way back to Adam, it was Jesus in the garden with him. So what does that tell us about God the Father? God the Father is omnipresent and invisible. I mean, God himself is omnipresent, but God the Father is invisible. Because if you really think about it, here's some more science to it. Omnipresence means everywhere at once. If God the Father was not invisible, we couldn't see five inches. Because he would be everywhere, literally. 
That's what omnipresence is. God would consume everything. So the only way that an omnipresent being will, can be seen is if he reveals himself. That's Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of God. People say, well, what about the Bible when it says he's the firstborn of all creation? This is not about being created. It's about him being the first before everyone. He's the first and the last. It's called preeminence, right? To be the firstborn means you have preeminence. That's why it also says he's the firstborn of the dead because he was the first one to come into the flesh, die and raise so that he would have preeminence there as well. Like, I want you to understand something. If God is outside of time, space, and matter, and at one point he created time, space, and matter, then that means at one point he, he became visible. That doesn't change who he is. He became visible at that point because he created time, space, and matter. He created visibility, meaning that he decided to appear, and that's the eternal son. That does not mean that he was created. It's just that point of beginning for, for physical matter. So God is the first one to have physical matter because he's the creator of it. It does not mean he's the first created. It's saying the firstborn of all creation. Before you existed, I was here. I am the first. I am the last. Before me, there was none. After me, there will be none. No matter what, I am always going to be first. And that's what Jesus being the firstborn of all creation means, right? Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else I can say about the Trinity, to be honest with you. I don't got a lot of time left anyway. Uh, my kids will be home soon. Yes, I am recording this audio. This audio will be available on Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, and um, 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 I think it's available in a couple other places. Also, I'm trying to work on getting a website up where we can embed the uh, audios on the website. Um, I really want to get to the point where, um, where, I mean, I have so many goals and, and really hopes about what I would love to do with this. I mean, at the end of the day, I would honestly really love to get to the point where I can invite people to have phone calls with me and not charge for it. I mean, like literally, like people that that want to have those conversations, right? Like where we actually talk to each other. The problem is when there's so many people that want to talk, then how do you do it? How do you pick people? Especially if you're not going to charge anybody anything, because I don't want to charge anybody anything. Um, but yeah, so just a lot of things in my head of what I want to do. Um, but I'm trying guys, I'm trying, just keep me in your prayers. Keep this ministry in your prayers, uh, to, to just have the Lord giving me wisdom on how to keep moving this forward. Um, like Jesus said, you see me, you've seen the Father. Absolutely. If you see my hand, you've seen me, right? Yeah. Could you discuss Genesis 3.8? Sure. I only have about 10 minutes left uh, before I'm going to get off here. I saw someone asking if they can come up. I don't bring people up uh, normally, and also I'm about to get off here, so it just wouldn't be a good time. Um, Genesis 3.8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I love that. It's one of my favorite like moments in Genesis. What do you, what do you need explanation on? Um, are you supposed to gain a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit separately? No, you're separating them then. Like I know, again, this is where it does get a little confusing because we start saying, well, do I need to pray to this one? This is why you need to understand their roles. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Relationship with one is relationship with all three. They are one. They can't be separated. Never, ever, 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 ever. The three distinctions are their roles and, and it, there's an importance for it. But don't be sitting there stressed like, well, do I need to pray to this one, this one? Pray to the Father in the name of the uh, Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, where's the person asking about Genesis three? Was that Jesus walking in the garden? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yes. So let's talk about, so this is Jesus walking in the garden. This is Jesus. And what's beautiful about it also is it just demonstrates this, uh, uh, uh this intimate relationship that God had planned for us. Matter of fact, um, settings, comment settings. All right. Let me, I want to really hit on this cause this is something beautiful about here. 
a lot of times we look at everything through the lens based on what we think life's purpose is. And we all see things differently. This is why I'll talk to Christians sometimes and they'll be like, I don't think God would do that. God wants us to enjoy the things of life. So I'm going to go do this and do that. And they could be talking about anything. But if, and when we really get down to it, let's really look at what the purpose was for our existence and then look at the world today. God created us to be in his intimate proximity, like to be close to him, to live with him, to be with him, to be eternal with him. He loved us. Can you imagine how long before this moment were they in the garden with, with our Lord and just like looking at him and being like, Lord, you're so amazing, right? And then this also shows you how serious sin is because sin ruined this for us. Sin separated us from him. And then today, all the things around us are our creations in this world that God created for our purposes, though. So we have all these businesses and shops and malls and entertainment. We've created it to give ourselves purpose. And honestly, a lot of it's created by the secular world. We just take part in it. Uh, I mean, if you think about what the words amusement mean, muse is something that you find passion in and, in, and, and inspiration in. That's what a muse is. You put an A before a word when it's the opposite. So amuse is the opposite of deep thought and, 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 and encouragement and whatnot. It is just, blah, just watch something, right? Sometimes we have to realize our purpose from day one was to be in proximity with him, to serve him, to love him, to be around him, to work with him, to do the things he wants us to do. That is our purpose. And if we forget that, we can find ourselves in these moments where we believe God wants to bless me financially. God wants me to be comfortable with my two homes. God wants me to go ahead and keep doing what I do that's selfish. God, because th this is what I think life's about, but this world is falling apart. I know I wanted to read 1 John today and we just didn't get to it because, hey, I love when the Spirit guides these conversations. Guys, we could do 1 John another time. But I do want to read one part of 1 John that I've, I've shared before, but this one's important to just constantly remind you guys of. There's a lot of people that try and twist the scriptures to be like, well, God is love, so love can never be wrong. Well, first and foremost, love in the Bible means something completely different to what y'all use it for. But even if that's the case, the Bible actually commands us not to love something. If you have your Bibles, you can look at 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 15. It says, do not love the world. I know the sentence keeps going, but I want to stop right there to really emphasize that. That's a command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, this is a struggle. Wait a minute, Mike. Wait a minute, Mike. I know what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. God loves the world. He's telling me not to love the world. No, that's not what's happening. This is why hermeneutics is, is important because here we have to understand the context because the word for world in Greek is cosmos. And cosmos can mean all of creation, the planet, uh, a civilization, or it can also mean the flesh, the world of the flesh, the, the things against God. So let's look at the context. He then says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's take it back now. It's not saying you can't love what God created in the world because that's fine. I can look at this world and say, God, what you did is amazing. I love the way that everything looks with the sunset here. I love my dog because you created these wonderful animals. And my love is not directed to the world alone. It's directed to God about the world. To love the world and the things in the world, that's the desires of the flesh, desires of the eye, pride of life. Those three things are literally the downfall of humanity. I don't know if you know this, every sin falls into those three things. Desires of the flesh, lust, drugs, feelings, ugh, I want it, desires of the flesh, gluttony. Desires of the eyes, all those other things can also fall into here. But then you have coveting, greed, jealousy, anger. And then the pride of life, the valuing yourself almost equal to God. Like, oh no, I, I, I deserve to be here and I deserve this and I'm entitled to this and I am so great and me, 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 me. And God is saying, don't love things that are involved with that. And any, he, what's, what's said after that is beautiful because it's a reminder. It says, and the world is passing away 
along with its desires. And I, the way I Im- imagine this is it's, it's burning down. Why would I grip onto what's being burnt down and destroyed and passing away when it says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So I'm holding on over here to the one that abides forever, but I'm holding on over here to what's burning away. Why? Why do I want to hold on to that still? Is it because the way I look at things is, God, I want to be with you, but as long as this is here, I'm going to go have fun there because that's a terrible mindset. I'd have to ask that person some questions because the truth is when you come to the Lord, you're supposed to say, wow, I don't want that. I want you because that's not even eternal. You are eternal. I want you forever. And I get it that sometimes it takes time to let go over here. In fact, that's what saving faith is. Saving faith is coming to God with an empty hand. Saying, Lord, here, I can't, I can't do this anymore on my own. You let go of your own works. Let go of your own pride. Let go of your own self. I, so we talked about this on the podcast like last night. Christianity is extremely easy and extremely hard. It's the hardest easy thing ever. Why is it easy? Because you literally are just saved by faith because Christ does it all. He did everything. Why is it the hardest thing ever? Because the one part about believing that Christ did it for you is denying your pride. It's really hard for human beings to do that, to admit you've done nothing. Everybody wants credit for everything. Heck, I love, I love, one of my love languages is literally verbal affirmation. I love to hear, thank you. I appreciate you. My wife learned that. Like, so I get it. We got to, uh. You have to ask yourself today. Am I living for eternity now or am I looking at it like Jesus will be my God when I die? I, I, I'll, I'll, when I die. Because if you be in Christ, then for you, eternity began today. It began yesterday. It began whenever you came to him. It began already. You are, you are with him in eternity. What does it say in, in uh, I think it's Corinthians, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Matter of fact, I know, I know it also says it in Colossians chapter one, which is also, if you ever want to make a deliverance person feel like they don't know what they're talking about, this is a great place to prove to them that all Christians have already been delivered. First Corinthians, I mean, uh, for, uh, Colossians chapter one, verse um, 12, we'll start there. Giving thanks to the father who has, <clears throat> who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been transferred from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. So why is it every weekend you're trying to sneak out so you can go party real quick in the domain of darkness? I don't want dad to catch me. I just want to go out real quick and just go hang out with the guys and put myself in positions where I might sin. And again, I'm not sitting here saying like you can't go out and have fun sometimes, but you have to understand your weaknesses. Some of you might have more weaknesses than others. This is why also your your conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't matter for someone else all the time. Like for example, I don't drink. I don't drink, right? I don't want to. Will I have a wine once every like couple years? Sure, I might have a glass of wine, right? For a very special occasion, but I don't drink just because I don't want to. But I would never say, hey, you Christian, you can't drink. Right? That's not, but that's between me and the Lord. We got that. That's between me and Him. You might not be at the position I'm at. And maybe you are. Maybe you were an alcoholic. You can't have one. So the Lord has put it on your heart not to. So don't go telling others you can't either. Right? We see this all throughout, uh, 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 you know, our lives. But I do want to point out something that sometimes we're naive to it. For example, men, if you go out with your boys and you're saying, hey, I'm not going to drink or nothing, you still are going to be out at a place where there's usually provocative music with the dancing that's very provocative and therefore you also have women that are half dressed and in case you don't understand biology whether you think you're strong or not whether you think you're strong or not men are attracted by sight that's biology uh fyi if you're hearing it jump back in uh, i had a little issue over here the computer just shut down for a second i guess it went to sleep so it stopped recording i apologize we're going to keep moving um but as i was saying uh, men, in today's society, we have to be aware of certain things. Like, I want to speak to the men real quick. We exist right now 
Um, I'm going to steal this from Vody Bakum. Vody Bakum did a lesson once where he explained that we exist on a scale of one to 10 for uh, levels of pornography in the world. We're at like a four and we don't realize it. We think that's normal now. We've been conditioned to think it's normal. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up, oh man, you could barely see anything in a TV show or a PG-13 or or on internet and, and well, uh, barely what we had the internet, you know, AOL login or whatever, uh, TV commercials and all that. You barely would see the stuff you see today. Today, like it's in advertisements, billboards, commercials everywhere, full on, almost nude. I mean, uh, commercials that are just all about sexuality. Heck, there's a Marvel movie called The Eternals that's PG-13. And I used to have this thing, well, I still have this thing, where I, I would go see a movie or watch a movie before my kids because I don't know what they might see. There's a full-blown sex scene, PG-13, like full-blown, absolutely full-blown, like with motions and facial expressions, PG-13. It's mind-blowing. Looks like my kids are home, so uh, this is where we're going to go ahead and call it a quits. Uh, but guys, thank you so much. Let me go ahead and turn on the comments so I can say bye to you guys. Thank you so much for joining me in my little test run to see how this audio recording is going to do. Um, I will try and get this. Uh, I'm going to bring my computer with me tonight when I go to my son's football practice. I'll be able to edit this a little bit, and I'll be able to see uh, how this turned out. And then I will upload it on uh, Spotify, Apple, and all that. I have a feeling my son wants to come up in here and jump on my lap and get in front of you guys, and I feel like that's what's going to happen. So I'll let him come in here because I know that's going to happen. Five, four, three, two, one. That's my big kid. What's up, man? If I do, oh. if I do good at football practice, can you give me one dollar per lap? One dollar per lap? By the way, this side just wants to come off just two times. <gasps> I figured. I was about to end it and I said, let me let them all come. Oh my gosh. Y'all see what I go through? Mm. Oh, I'm still hey. recording on Spotify. Hey. Let me turn that on.